Hello and welcome to Lawrence Fork in Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake. And I'm Kristen, and today we're interviewing owner Scott Thelman from Juniper Hill Farms. Before we get to the episode today, we just wanted to take a second to remind our listeners that voting for Best of Lawrence is happening right now, and it ends February 28th. So if you like what we're doing, please consider voting for us for Best Podcast under the community section. Yeah, we're pretty excited to see the results last year. We came in seventh place with only one episode uh, at the time of voting. So you know our goal this year is to do at least a little better than that because we've now got 18 episodes under about we've got all of you wonderful people listening to us um so please get online and vote for us uh you can do that at the best of um yeah so really appreciate your support and let's get on with the show today we're talking with owner scott thelman from juniper hill farm scott welcome to the show thanks good to be here well, so for any listeners who don't know about uh, Juniper Hill Farms, um, they're located right here in Lawrence, right in North Lawrence, and uh, just a big uh, produce supplier for, you know, you have your restaurants, you supply grocery stores, and I think you're even at the farmer's market now, right? So, mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, it's just great to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Lawrence? So originally I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, my parents were going to school there. Um, however, when I was, gosh, about three years old, we moved back to Lawrence. Uh, my dad started a medical practice here and mom uh, was working at a church. And then when we were eight years old, we moved out to, um, what's now Juniper Hill farms. Um, my parents had always wanted to live in the country and we found a piece of ground and, um, moved out. And so, you know, I guess the story of how I got started is we started renting some ground, um, to a rancher in the area named Leo. Mm. And I started out on the porch, kind of hanging out with him, um, watching him feed the cows. And then I was on the driveway and then I was standing along the fence and, you know, this guy's like 82 years old. Um, So one day he looked at me and, you know, a little eight year old Scotty (laughs) and goes, well, hell, why don't you carry these feed buckets? Um, And so before I knew it, I was riding around in his truck um, every couple days, every time he came over to this side of the river and, um, and uh, just kind of started hanging out with him and, and learning the ropes of farming. Um, so then in junior high, I worked at a, a sweet corn farm that, you know, that uh, retired a few years ago called Bismarck Gardens in North Lawrence okay. and started saving up my uh, summer earnings at five twenty-five an hour <laughs> and um, eventually saved up enough to buy my first uh, old square baler and hay rake and sycamore mower and gosh, I guess started making hay in ninth grade. Wow. And so kind of expanded that throughout high school um, up to where it was a pretty good enterprise by the time I graduated. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was a lot of work. Uh, yeah. so that's a lot of hustle there. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of hustle, a lot of broken equipment. Um, I got to know my parts dealers really well. Um, and you know, I wasn't mechanically able right. at all when I started. I didn't know the difference between a hammer and a wrench. I mean, it was, it was pathetic. And so, you know, Thankfully, my dad um, was able to teach me some of those values, mm. and and then having this crappy cheap equipment yeah. um, really taught me how to work on stuff mm-hmm. before I started getting you know nicer equipment, mm-hmm. um, and so I really gained that mechanical skill set mm-hmm. early in life. But um, after I graduated high school, I took a year off um, between high school and college um, mm-hmm. to make sure that farming is what I wanted to do. Right. Um, I think a lot of people go into school or university and 
and might not. Yeah, don't know. Yeah, they, 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 they don't have that end game, um, yeah. whether it be, you know, farming or agriculture, you know, they just don't have an end game of where they see themselves five years later. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, can turn into chaos. So I took that year off and, and realized that agriculture is what I wanted to do, whether or not it was farming or just something food related in the ag industry. So right. I went up to Iowa State, majored in agricultural business. And, and during that time, we had started to grow vegetables. Um, mm. There was a farm just north of us called Maggie's Farm. They grow organic garlic um, and a lot of different specialty vegetables that we were working with. And essentially, they had kind of strong-armed me into uh, <laughs> applying for this high tunnel grant saying, we will teach you to grow. And I was really resistant because, you know, when we were kids and we tried to have a garden out at, you know, the mm-hmm. farm as a family, God, we couldn't grow a turnip, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, anything that people wanted to eat yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were just horrible um okay. you know family gardeners yeah. but we we put up that first high tunnel and they, they kind of showed me the ropes of irrigation and hmm. and season extension and how to grow and, and so our very first year growing kind of that spring of 2011 on our own um, we had a 20 by 96 foot high tunnel and then a, about a 30 by 100 foot area outside and so you know what about a 50 by 100 foot area so pretty yeah. small yeah. i mean generally speaking yeah. about a eighth of an acre that's great how much you know how much do those extend i mean is it that get you basically through the winter having those high tunnels or is it more of like it gets you through like, so essentially they say that a high tunnel kind of extends the season three or four weeks on either side oh, okay. okay now that being said with row cover and mm-hmm. you know growing cool season crops versus tomatoes or something yeah. you know you can really push it mm-hmm. and so you know, just earlier this week, um, what is it, five degrees out right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't that four or five days ago, but <laughs> we were picking lettuce for some of the restaurants and grocers in Lawrence. That's wow. awesome. Um, yeah, lettuce and spinach right now. And so, you know, we've grown year-round. Right. Um, I think the crew um, and myself both enjoy a little bit of time off, and yeah. so we, we usually, you know, try to strategically take December, January off from any marketing. Mm-hmm. Just so we can all take a breather. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, the high tunnels and, and the new high tunnel systems we've installed over the years mm. have really benefited us in terms of, you know, being able to provide local food for a longer season to our region and to our customers. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. So you started out with the one high tunnel and then the outdoor patch. And so, like, relative to where you are now, like, how have you grown from then to now? So we went from that, you know, roughly 5,000 square feet to about a quarter acre to about an acre the next year to about four acres the year after, which um, would have been the year before I graduated college to, you know, I think 2014 when I graduated, about 16 acres. And if you kind of flash forward to today, we're at about 50 acres of vegetables, both certified organic and and conventionally grown. We do a little bit of both. Hmm. Um, And then we also still have the hay business. We do about a little over a thousand acres of hay. Oh, and then wow. a variety of row crops, organic and conventionally. Wow. So how did you juggle? Because, I mean, you were growing your business while you were in college. So how were you? And you were in Iowa. It's not even like you were here. So how did you do that? Was it hard to kind of be away and be like running this business here? And did you make a lot of trips back and forth? I made a lot of trips. Yeah. Back and forth. <laughs> there were a lot of weekend trips. Yeah. Um, you know, that that was the nice thing about Iowa State. It was just far enough away. You just couldn't come home to, you know, yeah. hang out mm-hmm. but it was close enough you could come home when you needed to yeah. and I'm real thankful my my farm manager who's been with me now for nine years um, Kyle mm. um, came on 
um, working for me back in 2011. So kind of that second year I was at, you know, kind of my what sophomore year at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's been with me ever since then as kind of that rock who's always here when, you know, I was not only at school, but today now when I'm traveling, you know, with Farm Bureau or leadership groups or, or different things around the around the country and around the world. Kind of holds down wow. the fort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I, I couldn't do it without Kyle. He's definitely my rock. Gosh. Awesome. How do you grow to all that land too? I mean, obviously you said like your dad and the family bought that land, but I mean, have you had to, was all that land included when he first got it or did you have to kind of acquire, acquire as you went or? So definitely it's, it's been one of those things where over the years you just kind of get to know landowners mm-hmm. or, or opportunities come around. Um, that's really how we got into, you know, expanding the hay so quickly and, mm-hmm. and then expanding the, um, row crop side of the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have an opportunity to rent ground, um, as a first generation farmer at such, you know, a young age, you don't really want to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, because that opportunity doesn't come around very often. And so, you know, whether it be, you know, 30 acres or 80 acres in Leavenworth County or, or 70 acres, you know, in Western Douglas County, mm-hmm. you know, what, when the opportunity came about, we almost always said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really the first year where we've started to say no mm-hmm. um, because we've kind of grown to the point where where we don't need to grow anymore for mm-hmm. a little while. You know, we just need to get really good at the acreage we have instead of it continuing right. to expand. Right. But, you know, I really um, got lucky a number of years ago, um, and it was about the time I went to school in 2010, I started renting some ground in the, uh, let's see, the Lakeview River Valley, so kind of near the power plant northwest of Lawrence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it was about 2014, 2015, um, right after I graduated college, um, that landowner called me and said, hey, I'm thinking about selling it. Would you be interested? Mm-hmm. And so um, without knowing the price, without talking to my <laughs> banker or anything, I said, yes, yes. Wow. I want it. And, um, you know, to come up with that kind of capital and especially down payment at 24 years old yeah. is not I mean, easy yeah. with no real job. Oh um, you know, farming's a job, but it's yeah. not a real job. It's just a, <laughs> sure it's, it's, it's a hobby. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a reckless hobby. But, um, you know, the USDA offered a program for young and beginning farmers for 50, 50 oh. land match, okay. um, really? with a bank. And so I was able to go out and with zero down, be able to purchase this land with a 50, 50 deal from the USDA and the bank, cool. um, that I work with. That's awesome. How did you find out about that? I mean, I feel like, are there resources that you're able to tap into? Yeah, are, so yeah. so they're getting better and better about it as yeah. time goes on of really trying to spread the word. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, for any anybody listening that, you know, is a young farmer or, or somebody aspiring to farm, right. you know, just type in, um, I think it's youngfarmers.gov or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and they list a lot of the resources. Yeah that are available to people who are just getting started in agriculture, right. um, whether it be loans for um, land or high tunnels or, or grain bins mm-hmm. or, or different, you know, different operating loans, um, lines of credit, things like that. Um, and, you know, the process is a little bit more cumbersome than working directly with a bank, but, you know, the benefits are there. Oh, you know, yeah. 24, I was That's able huge. to buy, you know, almost 50 acres of ground. Wow. Yeah, which gains you a lot, I'm assuming, you know, just having the land is half the battle. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It really is. That's wow. awesome. And where'd, uh, where'd the name come from? You know, Juniper Hill, was that right off the bat or is it a family thing? Or so when I first started, I called it Thelman Hay Farm just because 
I was yeah. 16 and didn't know what else to, to call I mean, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was growing hay and my last name was Thelman. Why not? <laughs> but the name Juniper Hill actually came around. We were at a farm auction across the street um, as a family was selling out um, mm. and moving to town um, as the parents had aged. And um, there was an old cattle sale booklet on one of the old trailers sitting outside. Mm. And it was Juniper Hill Farms. And it was actually from our farm. Um, you know, anybody that's oh. been out to our farm knows that there's a line of juniper trees oh. on our driveway going up to the house. Yeah. And, you know, we just always thought, oh, juniper trees <laughs> on top of the hill. But, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, they had called it Juniper Hill Farms when they were marketing uh, cattle genetics and oh. bulls hmm. from the property. And so as soon as I saw that, it just made sense to just, yeah. you know, why, you why, why create something new when you've got such a good classic yeah. name, oh, yeah. That's you know, awesome. that kind of ties the history back to the farm. So what crops are you growing or do you grow? And I'm sure, it, does it change like year to year? Obviously it probably changes like season to season. How does that work? We are very ignorant about how farms yeah. So that's a really good question. And so, you know, in this part of the country, there's kind of, you know, three, maybe four seasons if you consider year-round growing. You know, there's kind of the, the early spring and spring season that's like lettuce, greens, spinach, radishes, Japanese salad, turnips, things like that. Then you work into the summer um, that's going to be your, you know, your squash, zucchini, watermelon, sweet corn, tomatoes. Um, I guess in between those, there's your kale and Napa cabbage and bok choy before it gets too hot mm -hmm. in the summertime. And then, you know, as you work back towards that fall season, it's, you know, turning back into winter squash, you know, all basically all the squashes, but, you know, uh, tomatoes, peppers, and then kind of back to those spring crops. So then spinach and lettuce and, and all of your greens again. Hmm. So we kind of have two spring seasons in that sense of, you know, the greens, you know, then the primary season of, you know, all the good stuff and everybody stuff. just, you know, yeah. zombies coming yeah. at you. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you can work back into the winter time, um, and, you know, really what we'll do is we'll plant a bunch of stuff in October and November in, in our high tunnel systems um, and basically overwinter them. And so, you know, in, in February, we can start harvesting greens for all the restaurants downtown. Wow. So do you have like all that variety like every year or do you kind of choose what to plant and offer based on like what's popular or what's like will give you a better profit or how does that work? So we're always looking at, you know, not only profitability of crops, but also what we enjoy growing. Mm -hmm. um, I love green beans. It's one of my favorite foods to eat. I hate picking them and I hate growing them. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not a fun crop to grow. Um, okra is the same way. Mm. I absolutely despise okra, um, but I love it. Yeah. Um, so those are, you know, crops where, you know, kind of there's that love-hate relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and when you get to that point, you really have to start looking at the numbers of, of is it a profitable crop? And so every single crop we grow has an enterprise budget. And so we, we cost out what the potential revenue is and then what every single expense is, whether it be the drip line or the water or the harvest labor or the packaging or, or even the shipping. And so we really figure out, you know, it, is there a margin there that works for us? You know, it, I think about our farm and, and kind of the three pillars of sustainability. So is it economically sustainable, environmentally sustainable, and then, you know, socially sustainable for our employees in our community? You know, if we can't be, you know, economically sustainable on our farm, how can we be environmentally sustainable growing that crop and then socially sustainable with our community in terms of being able to give back and 
right. and work with the community. And so, you know, I'd, I'd say at any given year, about 20% of the crops we're growing are new to us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the fun things about farming is yeah. you get to play around with what you do and you never want to get bored doing what you do. And so we always have something new, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the pot, but you know, then we've got our staples like kale and sweet corn and watermelon and you know, as of last year, tomatoes mm. that uh, we just really, really uh, knock it out of the park, I think. And so, you know, another thing, going back to your story a little bit, I mean, what's it like to be, I mean, so you are a first generation farmer, which, you know, is probably becoming more rare. I feel like it's a, it's a challenge. It's a newer, it's a more unique thing um, to your story. So what, I mean, what's it been like for that? I mean, how have you how have you learned over the years or yeah Yeah, it sounds like you know from what you were saying you've had a lot of help from neighbors and older farmers in the area but i imagine it still must be you know sort of intimidating if it's not something that you necessarily grew up around with like your family to try to break into an industry like that you know it's not really particularly easy i mean it's taken oh sorry sorry (laughs) you're saying it's not intimidating no 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 starting out it's very intimidating yeah absolutely i I mean that that first uh i still remember it was when Rick Martin worked at Free State, it was our first case of radishes, and Kyle and I picked them, and we probably spent like six or seven hours just cleaning that one. They were the cleanest radishes you had ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, that that first delivery and yeah. walking in the back door at Free State with a case of radishes, I mean, it was very, uh, you know, pulling up. It was very yeah. nervous. Oh, yeah. um, I hope they're good. And, and, you know, now it's just like, oh, what do you need? And, you know, just, yeah, just drop it, it and <laughs> yeah. you know, deal with it later. But, you know, it's... It's not been easy by any means, but also, you know, as you slowly break into those networks, and and that's one of the biggest things I would say I've taken advantage of is just really, in a sense, sticking my neck out there and Mm -hmm. going and knocking on the door of the farmer down the road and and telling him who I am or telling her who I am or or whatnot and, you know, just kind of getting to know my neighbors. And it turns out that a lot of those neighbors go, a first-generation farmer, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, they might be willing to help or or offer advice. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to grow um, very good zucchini until I met, you know, Randy in the River Valley. And, you know, good old Randy (laughs) taught me how to grow, you know, watermelon and zucchini. And those are some of our big crops now, (laughs) thankfully to him. Yeah, and so, you know, I've been very fortunate to get to, you know, kind of slowly cultivate a network of mentors, um, not only in in the Lawrence and Douglas County area, but around the country Mm -hmm. who I can call on. And, you know, as I've gotten to become a bigger operation, they've started to call on me with advice. And it's really (laughs) neat to be able to kind of, in a sense, give back to them with, to, you know, talk about the issues we've had of growing. And they might call and say, hey, you're, you're big enough, you're, you know, GAP certified, which is good, you know, a food safety certification. And they might, you know, ask, tell me about that. And so it's been neat to be able to share those experiences with people who helped me get started um, in terms of their advice. And and even at a lot of times their equipment Yeah. when we didn't, when, you know, we couldn't afford the equipment. Yeah. I guess that speaks to how, you know, it's changed, changes over time too, right? So it's like, as you learn something new, I mean, you can't just stay doing the same thing, right? You gotta kind of evolve and adapt and yeah. Yeah. But I'll say all that being said, you know, whenever I'm at a conference or, you know, heck, I was just at the Kansas Farm Bureau's Young Farmer and Rancher Conference. You know, I'm 29 right now, and I'm still one of the younger people in the room. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, you know, it goes to show, you know, America really does more, need, you know, need more young farmers. Yeah. Um, and needs more people that, you know, that disrespect anybody to think beyond kind of the farmer's market and to think of that mid-scale farm. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's, 
you know, in my mind, how you're really going to feed your region. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's great to feed your community or your neighborhood, but to really think about the region is really when you start having really good, strong food security. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think, you know, just speaking for myself, it's like when I would think about it, it's like, yeah, you think of a smaller farmer that's, you know, you know, going to just the farmer's market or something, you know, or, you know, doing that smaller thing. But it's like, yeah, but just seeing what you're doing, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not just, you know, going to a farmer's market. I mean, you're doing that, but then you're also supplying grocery stores mm-hmm. and, and restaurants. restaurants and and, yeah. So, I mean, that's a good size farm, but it's not, you know, you're not at the size that, you know, it's not just, you know, a huge, you know, a huge, huge monoculture type farm. There's, <laughs> there's still compassion and care that yeah. goes into our food. Exactly. And, yeah, I mean, I guess thinking about that aspect of, of small versus large, you mm-hmm. know, when we started, I knew that farmer's market wouldn't be sustainable for us. And, and a lot of that came from the idea of if it rains on a Saturday, we're there goes your cash flow for the mm-hmm. week. Yep. And when you have, you know, at the time it was just Kyle, but now we have four, four to, well, we have three full-time employees now and about, oh, seven to 10 people in the summertime working for us. And so, you know, if it rains, you've got to still make payroll for all these people and where's your food going to go? And so as we started out, the mindset was how do we get into grocery stores, restaurants, Um, you know, grocery chains, um, institutions like school districts, wholesalers to where we always, regardless of weather, have an outlet for our food. Mm -hmm. And so coming back and and starting the Lawrence Farmer's Market in 2019, and um, we actually just, uh, well, I think it was yesterday, found out we got accepted to the Overland Park Farmer's Market. Oh, Mm -hmm. nice. But, you know, coming back into the farmer's market scene, it's, we're branching out to where we can really have that interaction with our community. Because... You know, the, the restaurants are a great interaction with that chef. Mm-hmm. But when you're delivering to, um, you know, a certain, you know, s- certain chain grocery stores, you know, the delivery, you know, the dock guys, you know, are sitting back there with a bag of Doritos. <laughs> and when they get off, they're going to go to Taco Bell. And, yeah. you know, they um, they really could care less of what's on that pallet as long as it's all there. Yeah. And so there is that big lack of um, connection to your customer, connection to where your food goes. Yeah. You're just delivering it to who, you know, writes the check, but you don't actually know who's putting it in, you know, the pan at home. Right. And so one of the reasons we wanted to start doing farmer's market, you know, as a grower was to have that connection because that really solidifies the whole, you know, it's it's the the full circle. circle. Yeah. Yeah. So where exactly can people find your produce now? I mean, we've said restaurants here in Lawrence only or in Kansas City and same thing with like grocery stores like where where's your stuff so in this region you know in Lawrence you know Merck Checkers Hy-Vee um Natural Grocers um in terms of restaurants you know some of the big ones you know that we work with very closely you know 715 Merchants Free State Wheat Fields um Burger Stand mm. Limestone oh if I'm forgetting I'm Jay sure. Wilson's <laughs> if I'm forgetting anybody else forgive me <laughs> but you know those are some of the you know, the, the restaurants that we really um, mm-hmm. work with, you know, twice a week, every week in season. You know, going from there in Kansas City, we're at a variety of different restaurants. Fox and Pearl, you know, who mm-hmm. people might know from Hank Charcuterie mm-hmm. is, is one of the yep. ones we work with regularly. Then also all the natural grocers in Kansas City, the Whole Foods, oh. and wow. a number of the Price Choppers. Um, and then we distribute to some of the big wholesalers in Kansas city. And so then not exactly sure where it ends up from there. (laughs) That's their job. Um, but you know, those wholesalers, um, you know, really help keep the farm moving when we have excess produce in any Mm. given week. Um, and then we do have trucking routes out to Colorado that we take advantage of whenever we can to ship to the distribution center for whole foods out West. Really, So then that 
translates to our produce setting up in New Mexico, Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, there's the whole Rocky Mountain region. Yeah, how do you get involved with like Whole Foods? Is like you know, is it they they reach you reach out to them and kind of let them know what you got? And so it it actually came about from you know the idea I mentioned earlier of getting out there and networking. Mm-hmm. I was uh, speaking at a Meet the Growers event in Kansas City, kind of talking about enterprise budgets um, with other farmers and food buyers there, and it just so happened in the back of the room, sitting cross-legged, I didn't notice him when I walked in, but there was a the Whole Foods uh, buyer, buyer for the region sitting back there. When I finished, he walked up and said, we ought to talk. And wow. we walked into a little conference room over uh, at the K-State Olathe campus and had about a 15-minute <laughs> chat. And, you know, Whole Foods wasn't easy to get into. I mean, oh, it took yeah. almost a year with all the paperwork. And oh I mean, it's it's a very intricate system. I bet. Um, yeah, that's what surprises me. I'm like, man, you think of those as having like these huge farms or something that they kind of have to you know, yeah. just sole, you know, sole source from them. But the fact oh. that they do the regional stuff, that's all. No, that's abs- cool. absolutely. You know, it, and it's been a, a wonderful thing. Right. Um, you know, the buyers, they're very considerate. They really care about mm-hmm. local. They're, they're really excited to share about it, you know, mm-hmm. put it out on the floor and, and not only just stick a little sign up, but, you know, talk to their customers about who we are. You know, mm-hmm. they've brought all of their team leaders out to our farm. Oh, oh cool. You know, we've brought most of the employees to Whole Foods so they can see the back of house and yeah. meet everybody and just kind of that full circle system. Oh, that's really nice. Like so that, that we've all uh, we all know where the food's going and, and mm-hmm. you know They're coming from. Yeah, wow. yeah. Well, and and when you do that, you can get you know your employees out on the floor and see the produce that's there and say you know see this is what the kale should look like yeah. or you know the. the these are the expectations that that maybe aren't just the USDA standards, but are the standards of our customer, mm-hmm. or the standards we hold, and look how much better they are than yeah. the USDA yeah. standards at times. I think I also saw that um, you guys supply some school districts. Yeah, so we also um, we supplied the Lawrence Public School District, um, and then Park Hill. Uh, school district in Parkville, Missouri. Those oh, are kind wow. of our two big ones. We hit a few others occasionally, but those yeah. are the two that are you know, big staples <laughs> wow. for us. That's so cool. So speaking <laughs> of local schools, um, you know, and all that, I mean, I think we've seen too that you've done some outreach programs too with the with the kids and, and all that. What have you done? Have you had brought them to the farm or what, what's that experience? Yeah, been like? so we work with the Lawrence Public Schools with the farm to school program. And so that's not only the farm coming to the school, you know, just a few weeks ago for Kansas Day, I was at Quail Run with kindergartners teaching them about wheat, which oh, is really so fun. Yeah. And, you know, the, the most exciting part is they get to put their hand in wheat. You know, yeah. they, really, they, love it. They, they could care less about what I have to say. Yeah. About, like, oh, this is when we planted. They just want hands in wheat. Oh, but, yeah. you know, as you, as you get to that little bit of older group, you know, the seventh graders or, or the high school students, you know, the public schools will bring them out to the farm. And it's always amazing to me, you know, even in a small community like Lawrence that's surrounded by agriculture, mm-hmm. when you ask how many of you guys have been to a farm and only about a half of the hands or less go up. Wow. wow. And, you know, and that's so that yeah, it is, it really is stunning. <laughs> yeah. And so that makes it all the more worthwhile to have these kids out and then to you know, one of the things we always do, because they usually have one in the spring, in the fall, and it just happens when we're growing radishes. And, you know, <laughs> radishes happen to be something really easy to pick. And so, you know, you can walk all the students down a row of radishes and go, everybody pick a radish. A lot of them are picking their first food ever in their life, and then we'll walk over to a, you know, a hose and wash them off, and then everybody can eat a radish they just picked. That's so cool. And, you know, I'm not even a huge fan of radishes, <laughs> but, like, you know, that day it's my favorite food. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, just... 
getting to see that experience and getting to see the kids run around on the farm and really you know just see what we do it's a really yeah. gratifying experience oh yeah there's nothing like it you know yeah. like picking something that you've grown or that you just you know just picked and then you can eat it like that's amazing that's what we love about gardening at home yeah i imagine i mean I would imagine too for the kids too i mean once they're probably maybe a little older i mean imagine um do any of them talk with you too about i mean it's got to be inspirational to see I, th- I think that's what i think i really like about you know, your story and your what you've done is just like you know it's a it's a very cool experience you've had and then how i mean we need more you know young farmers and all that so i mean hopefully it helps encourage a generation to do that right yeah we've definitely had students who have been out as they've gotten older and into working age you know approach us about you know working in the summer and Mm -hmm. and you know we've brought some of them on and it's been really neat to see where they've ended up as they've entered college and you know chosen that sustainable food system degree or you know global resource systems and they're you know one of the gals is over um, that used to work for us is over in Europe right now working with food systems and it's just really cool to follow them online and just see you know where their paths have taken them and you know I won't say it was you know at all because of us it's all them (laughs) but you know for for at least a part of their lives we we were there too yeah. Um, and, and would like to think we helped them grow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, along those lines, I mean, how, how have you, you know, how, how have you approached the uh, far, your farming techniques to help improve, like, the, uh, you know, improving the food system in general? Because, I mean, I think it sounds like, you know, I'm hearing that all along the way. It's like, you know, you're trying to create that connection with your customers, creating a connection with people eating your food. But, um, you know, there's also, you know, sustainable-type practices of farming and all that. So how do you... Yeah, how do you balance all that? Because obviously, with some of that comes higher cost of doing business too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, when we first started doing vegetables, um, as part of the grant we got for that first high tunnel, we had to mm. transition to organic production, which I thought was a pain in the ass. Yeah. But, you know, once we got that certification, it we realized, you know, oh, it's not so bad. And mm-hmm. so, you know, as as we kind of expanded the farm, the mindset was just organic, um, which at times isn't you know the most sustainable i think a lot of people see the organic seal and they go oh that's the best Mm -hmm. there can be and Mm -hmm. give credit to some of the you know bigger commodity farms you know they're doing incredibly sustainable things on their farms as you know large um operators of of many acres of commodities um you know the downside to organic um farming especially lettuce and and greens where we're bringing in a a lettuce harvester is you can't have any crop residue there and so it's a very high tillage operation Mm. where we're disturbing a lot of the top layer of soil um you know that being said we we you know introduce cover crops and and wide varieties of crop rotation we use drip line instead of overhead irrigation so we can serve water that way Mm. um we use chicken litter and things like that instead of synthetic fertilizers on the vegetable grounds but with the food safety regulations that's becoming more and more difficult making sure that our food's, you know, safe, but, mm-hmm. but also, um, profitable in that sense mm-hmm. of, you know, you can't dump too many of these resources in because, you know, some of the, uh, organic inputs we have available to us are very expensive as compared to the, you know, non-organic products that are available for use on other pieces of land, um, that we farm. So that's what you said. You kind of have a mix on your farm because it probably just depends on what you're growing, what makes sense to grow organic, you know, to officially be organic, yes. you know, versus. Yeah. And, and, you know, and thinking about that, some of the things we've 
we've chosen to not grow organically. We've tried to grow organically before and have just had so much food loss that it's just not sustainable economically or, or really environmentally. You know, yeah. sweet corn is a really good example. I don't mind having sweet corn that's got a little worm on the very, you know, top inch, yeah. but a lot of people do. And then when you're taking it to a grocery store, everybody does. <laughs> yeah, you know, it only takes a couple worms in a case. Uh, of sweet corn to have an entire load rejected and so you know that was something where we realized we just couldn't do it with organic pesticides and and right. provide a crop that was economically viable mm-hmm. um, without you know really tr- truly growing a food and then throwing it away um, leaving it in the field um, to rot just right. because it um, you know had worms in it or something right um, watermelon's another good example because of cucumber beetles and squash bugs mm-hmm. You know, we, we've learned with things like winter squash and, and summer squash that if we, you know, can start a transplant or if we can manage that, you know, crop appropriately with rotation and literally not just moving it from one side of the field to the other, but moving to a completely different field miles away, mm-hmm. we can manage those, you know, pests like squash bugs and cucumber beetles appropriately to be able to get, you know, that premium for that organic crop versus that, you know, non-organic crop. You know, kind of going back to, to the idea of sustainability and those, those three pillars, so the the you know, environmental, economic, and, and social sustainability. That's really how we think about our farm. You know, are we building our soil, you know, environmental side and thinking about, you know, is this land viable for generations to come? Hopefully we aren't degrading our farmland, but we're building it. You know, economically, can this farm be profitable for generations to come? Um, you know, and, and can our employees make a living? And then socially, you know, yeah, are we providing a living wage to our employees and, you know, creating a, a life, you know, that, that makes sense for them? And then, you know, giving back to our community, you know, mm-hmm. are we are we doing something to our community instead of just uh, using them for, for better or for worse? <laughs> yeah. you know, are, yeah. right. are we contributing back to our community in, in a beneficial way? So farming is something that, you know, inherently comes with a lot of risk between like weather or pests like you were just talking about. So what has been sort of a big challenge that you maybe didn't see coming in your whole, you know, farming journey to date? You know, at first it was access to capital um, and convincing you know, whether it be the USDA to start even with the beginning farmer programs or, or then, you know, um, banking institutions that vegetables were an option. You mm-hmm. know, everybody in the Midwest, you know, knows the numbers on corn and beans. <laughs> right. But when you say you want to grow kale, they, uh, like, you know, it, hmm. it, first off, they either go, what the hell's kale? <laughs> or they go, do people eat that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was initially a challenge that I didn't expect, but mm-hmm. getting more towards the idea of the environment, you know, it can get really hot in Kansas or yeah. really cold. I mean, yeah, we got well, the we, we were in what 60 degrees last weekend mm-hmm. we're at five degrees today and i think we're supposed to be 55 degrees on sunday yep. yeah you know that's quite a swing <laughs> when you think about the the fact that you know there's spinach growing yep. mm-hmm. um you know spinach doesn't like that this time of year right. um so you know that's definitely a challenge but you know what we're really facing now with um you know, the idea of climate change and, you know, not only just the short-term effects of changing climate patterns annually, but then climate change as a whole in the long run is more severe weather events. Mm -hmm. And so longer periods of dry weather, longer periods of heat, you know, shorter frequencies of rain. Mm -hmm. And when we do have that rainfall, it's a higher amount at once. Mm -hmm. You know, I think August, oh, August 2nd of 2019, we had almost 12 inches of rain in, you know, 13 hours. Yeah, how how did you guys last year too with all the rain we had last year? How did you guys fare with all that? Oh, it sucked. Yeah, <laughs> um, we you know I, I think I mentioned earlier that you know we typically grow about 
50 acres of vegetables a year and we probably had less than 20 acres really come to fruition last year oh my um, goodness we um you know benefits um to river valley farming is in a drought like 2018 mm. knock it out of the park it's <laughs> awesome you know yeah high water table drought low pests low yeah. weeds mm -hmm. it just you kill it but yeah. then a flood year um it all goes underwater yeah. and um you know our two river valley fields were underwater gosh three or four times last year yeah. depending wow. on the field yeah. Um, yeah, I know when I drive out you know, on 72, you just see a lot of farms right along there. I was just mm -hmm. like, oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> Yep, you probably, you probably, <laughs> probably saw one of ours. Oh, <laughs> but, you know, it's yeah. it's part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's where it goes back to the community of those, you know, farmer mentors and those guys that have been in it for generations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was the month of May of 2019 was a really rough month for every farmer, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially the ones who hadn't finished getting their corn in there, you know, who, you know, we were all sitting there basically twiddling our thumbs, figuring out what to do. Yeah. And, you know, that's May is, you know, the month like for, for yeah. getting it, you know, yeah. that's when you get it. And yeah. we were all sitting there just watching it rain. Ugh. And it was a really rough time for everybody. And, you know, I was just constantly reminded by these folks that have been in it for many, many years decades that you know the the flood of 93 didn't wipe everybody out you know there was a large flood in 93 and you know many of them you know it was a rough year but they made it through and mm -hmm. you know they're still here today and so you know my yeah. i guess my thinking is we if we could make it through the drought of 2018 mm -hmm. which is kind of the lower annual rainfall we had had in decades yeah. and the the flood of 2019 <laughs> which is the higher yeah. rainfall we've yeah. had in decades you know hell we can make it through anything yeah <laughs> I imagine part of it too is the way you structure, you know, what you're growing and all that too. Having that diversity in there, I imagine, like how you said, you're keeping the hay, you know, you're keeping you keep the hay business there. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming some of that, you know, you have a way to ride through the the dips, I guess. Absolutely. No, I mean, it. Our whole business model has been about diversification mm -hmm. of the enterprise, and so whether that be the brokering side of the business where we work with um, Amish and English growers of vegetables and fruit to distribute on behalf of them, mm -hmm. um, you know the hay and row crops, or or even you know the idea of season extension or mm -hmm. or plastic culture where we have uh, you mm -hmm. know large you know hoop houses that we're growing underneath to keep the rain off mm -hmm. um you know one of the reasons we installed and and i guess i really haven't brought it up but we installed a oh gosh a little over an acre of um plastic high tunnels last year so about forty-nine thousand square feet Whoa. underneath plastic at our farm and one of the reasons for that was the idea of climate change you know yeah. whether it be that late freeze or that early you know freeze um mm -hmm. depending on the you know spring or fall or or rain like we had this year you know i know a lot of growers that couldn't grow a tomato this year because every time it got close to ripe it rained it had split yep and um yeah i mean the, probably from your garden our home, mm -hmm. yeah, i was our just home. thinking yeah. about that i'm like damn it yeah I mean, <laughs> all of them yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> usually if you look at a tomato wrong it splits but yeah. then when it rains it's done yeah um and thank god we had that hay grove um because yeah. you know we were able to in 0.6 acres produce over twenty thousand pounds of tomatoes wow. um you know heirloom tomatoes that mm -hmm. went out to the masses and yeah. you know Without that hay grove, I don't know if we'd still be in existence this year. I was say, uh, hot commodity, I bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a good crop. Wow. Um, so we had some audience questions, which actually one of them uh, was actually around, you know, what effects are you seeing from, you know, climate change and all yeah, that. How are you farm. sort of adjusting to that on your farm and... Um, so, yeah. Anything so else you want to say about that? Sounds like very kind of... I mean, just, you know, the weather is getting more... in infrequent you yeah. know the the idea of oh if we could just have a normal year you know yeah, that's yeah. not gonna happen anymore and <laughs> right. so 
you know, we're growing extra plants, extra transplants, and we're holding them back thinking, you know, what happens if, you know, we put these out and we have a massive rainstorm come through that just flattens the field. Mm. Um, you know, we're taking out crop insurance now to, to you know, try and hedge our, our risks because mm. as we've grown, you know, it's it's a couple thousand dollars an acre at a minimum to put in a vegetable crop. But, you know, on, on some of the, you know, higher end crops like lettuce or tomatoes, I mean, you're talking, you know, big money per acre. Mm to get this crop planted and, and tended to even before you start picking. And so, you know, you have to diversify, you have to mm-hmm. grow additional crops, you have to pick up different farms at different locations. You know, thank yeah. thank goodness we weren't all in the river, all 50 <laughs> acres in, in, in one field or yeah. else we wouldn't have had anything yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in 2019, you know, but, but yeah, it really comes down to, to the idea of how do you minimize the impacts of climate change on your operation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you minimize those weather events? Can you, you know, have those, you know, high tunnels um, mm-hmm. and plastic culture protection? Mm-hmm. Um, can you have sandy soil at one location and then heavy soil at another location in case it's too dry? Can you have that irrigation ready to go? Right. Um, you know, we installed irrigation on everything last year, and I don't think we turned it on until <laughs> July. <laughs> right. um, but then in July, all of a sudden it got hot yeah. mm-hmm. and dry. Another audience question we got was, what are your thoughts on hemp? So that's yeah, a great question. In 2019, we grew um, some industrial hemp for research as part of a program Kansas had launched as a pilot program. We were about one of about 180 growers in the state. We oh. grew about three acres um, of industrial hemp and learned a lot. It was a really fun crop to grow. It turns out it is very similar a tomato plant um, to a tomato plant mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, nutrient requirements, when you put it in the ground, you know, transplant wise, mm-hmm. how you start it in the greenhouse, you know, frankly, how much work it takes, um, to maintain that plant. So if you think about your tomato in the garden, you know, and then imagine 9,000 of those out in the field, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, that's about how much work it was. Oh my God. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of work and I think there's a lot of promise with the industry, mm-hmm. but you know, one thing, not only myself, um, but also many growers in Kansas, many growers across the country whose first year it was, we, we all have come to realize that the bottleneck's really in the processing. And so there's a mm-hmm. huge lack of processors. I see. So um, you, you grew all this stuff and, and then yeah, so, 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 so yeah, yeah, so we grew all this stuff and, and you know, it just, it sat around and it sat around and it sat around and it's yeah. because there wasn't a market for it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, in the beginning, everybody was praising it as this miracle crop that's going to save rural America. And, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, there's opportunity, maybe not in CBD, but in the actual fiber, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, to be that third crop for, for those large scale, you know, two crop operation, you know, the corn and bean operations, you know, there's your third crop that helps with crop rotation mm-hmm. and weed management and pest management and soil building. But, hmm. you know, so many people jumped into the game and we're lucky we just grew three acres and we're just you know, really just screwing around with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just having fun. It was just, yeah. a, I mean, it, it was, that, it was that part of that 20% of like, hell, let's give it a try. <laughs> try yeah. Um, you know, like Thai basil this year, we're giving it a try, but oh, you know, nice. who knows what'll happen with it. But you know, it was a lot of fun, but we aren't growing it in 2020 until we can secure a market. You know, yeah, yeah. that being said, if somebody called me up next week and, you know, offered me a contract to grow it, I yeah. think we'd be interested. Right. Um, so what's the main use for it then is it mainly i mean you said for research i mean is it is it cbd or it's it, like textiles and stuff textile, right or what's the, yeah yeah so there's three real uses um i mean there's about fifty thousand different ways you can use hemp once it's refined but there's really three different ideas as, as a farmer that you're getting into you're getting into the uh the seeds for oil 
You're getting into the fiber of it, so the stalks of the plants mm-hmm. for things like hempcrete or clothing or paper, mm. or you're getting into the flower for CBD, hmm. um, which is then process. You know, people can either you know smoke it, you know, no THC, but they can smoke it for you know the CBD, yep. or that it can be turned into the oil so they can you know ingest it you know through edibles or you know vapes whatever and things else. like yeah. that. You know, whatever yeah. it may be, yep. and so you know. This first year, we did it for CBD just because that's, you know, where we had kind of been led to and, and led to believe that that's kind of where the market was. But, you know, where I really see the potential in the Midwest is, is the fiber. And that's mm-hmm. truly what I'm interested in. The idea yeah. that, you know, future, you know, buildings out there could be built with, you know, hempcrete. Yeah. That's yeah. fire resistant and mold resistant and lasts longer than concrete, which concrete lasts a long time yeah, that's so crazy yeah. you know, if it lasts that long imagine what hemp could do yeah, yeah. Uh, and so one question we always like to ask everyone is you know obviously you're producing all this food and all that but where do you like to eat in lawrence when you go out so i have to say i'm pretty tied to merchants it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. restaurants in town yeah, um, yeah just the the diversity of the menu it, it always changes and then you know it's hard to beat the beer list there mm-hmm. but yeah you know you can't be at a seven fifteen, or you know, for a late night burger stand. Um, oh yeah, those five dollar burgers. You know, a, a patio at Bon Bon. You know, it's just yep. we we're so fortunate to have so many great places in Lawrence. Yeah. Um, and so many great chefs. You know, mm-hmm. one of the coolest things about my job is, you yeah. know, it's it's fun to show up in the restaurant and deliver the produce. Yeah. Um, not as fun at five o'clock on a Friday evening. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the coolest things about my job is, you know, when you go out on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, and go eat, especially in the wintertime, because we've got time to do that. Yeah. But, you know, you, you go out and eat, and, you know, all of a sudden a, a, an extra plate you didn't order shows up on the table, and you look yeah. back at the kitchen, and, you know, TK is pointing from across <laughs> yeah. the room at you. You know, it's yeah. it's it's mutual respect both ways. Mm-hmm. We, we so much appreciate what they do for our community and, and what they do with our food, and, and they very much, I think, respect and appreciate what it takes for us to grow right. that food and bring it to them. And so it's, it's just such an interwoven, tight community in mm-hmm. Lawrence. Yeah. God, it just uh, <laughs> makes it fun to wake up every day. Do you have any events coming up at the farm or any fun projects in the works for 2020? So 2020 is actually our 10-year anniversary oh, from wow. when we incorporated. Awesome. Um, I just kind of realized that the other <laughs> week when I was doing my taxes. But there's a number of farm-to-table dinners we're working on right now. There's no dates. Okay, um, cool. And I can't really, like, mention names yeah. yet because yeah. none of them are confirmed. But we're working really excited to have, yeah. like, a whole lineup of kind of farm-to-table dinners this summer. Awesome. Yeah, I think I saw – I only saw one last year. I remember seeing – some. Uh, I don't forget what it was, but – Let's see. So we had so um, Lark Affair and yeah. the Rieger do a collaboration okay. dinner at yeah. the farm. Yeah. Let's see. What else did we have last year? Let's, we had the Federal Reserve Bank in, of Kansas City and the board president and vice president mm-hmm. out to the farm to tour the hemp and talk about um, you know, international agriculture. Right. And that included, gosh, about 15 international bankers from around the world. It was a really oh, cool. Really? That's cool. It was the first time we had had an event where the Secret Service shows up. Oh, my it was, God. Oh, it, wow. was re- it was really <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, let's see. We had Senator Moran out last year along okay. with Farm Bureau to tour, well, once again, the hemp. And, yeah. and then, um, you know, just the farm in general. Yeah. Um, we've had a number of food blogger tours and stuff that are driving oh. through the state stop by. That's cool. Um, and then last fall, we had, um, during the Caw Valley Farm Tour, we had a dinner with uh, merchants to kind of, you know, tie up 
yeah. you know, wrap up the end of the Cow Valley Farm yeah. Tour, and that was really fun. We did it inside of the greenhouse. Oh, oh nice. That's cool. So it was a, it was really neat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah first time I'd eaten inside <laughs> of the greenhouse besides, you know, a little snack. Uh, a snack. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. So uh, is the best place for, as those events come up, probably do you post those on your Instagram or Facebook? Yeah, or so I'm never the best about posting yeah, on sure. Facebook yeah. and Instagram. I've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, but, so, but yeah, no, definitely keep your eyes out um, mm-hmm. for those, you know, for those events or any events where mm-hmm. we're in collaboration with on Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, or as long as you follow kind of the Lawrence food scene, yeah. you'll, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll see them pop up even yeah. if we might forget to mention it. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure to be sharing those to everyone, oh, yeah. everyone on our stories because yeah that, that sounds awesome i know i think i saw last year it was, uh, was the lark affair one i remember being like like oh that's really cool like yeah like a cool event to go to yeah but, yeah and i've always been amazed at how quick they sell out yeah i, know, right? yeah. I, I, never, yeah. I never thought that'd be the case <laughs> there's a huge you know appetite for it pun intended um in lawrence <laughs> well, you know yeah. so yeah yeah which just makes it all that more exciting yeah Awesome. Well, Scott, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. coming to talk with us today. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, like we've kind of mentioned throughout here, definitely, you know, check out, um, you know, basically grocery stores. You probably see Scott's stuff there. You got, uh, yeah, check them out. You'll be at the back at the farmer's market mm-hmm. here in Lawrence. And then you said in Overland park as well. Yep. Um, so that'll be awesome. And then, yeah, just, uh, really looking forward to seeing what the hopefully the weather's <laughs> behaves for you and uh we have a, you have a good year so thanks again yeah well thanks guys appreciate it thanks so much for joining us for this episode of lawrence fork in kansas we had a great time chatting with owner scott thelman of juniper hill farms as we mentioned at the top of the show voting for best of lawrence is happening right now through february 28th so if you like what we're doing please consider voting for us for best podcast in the community section along those lines if you're interested in supporting us in a different way we have gone ahead and created a patreon page where you can do just that Um, really the cool thing about patreon um, that we like is we can set up different tiers that have some different perks so uh you know you can get things like uh you know stickers and you know who doesn't like like some stickers Uh, and the stickers look pretty cool i must say (laughs) um and you know other other things uh uh, one really cool one too is you know you can potentially uh you can get on an episode here and join us at the table um so that'd be really cool but yeah anyway so go on go on take a look um but otherwise if you can't donate monetarily we do encourage you please spread the word about our podcast you know sharing it with friends coworkers, um the strangers next to you um, at that restaurant um whatever it is just let them know about the podcast uh, the more listeners definitely helps us out and um we're just happy to keep uh you know keep sharing sharing the lawrence food scene with people who are as passionate as we are and also please um, subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating that helps more people find our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. So feel free to find our pages, like us, follow us, subscribe, uh, leave a comment, let us know how we're doing. Let us know if you like the episodes. We're just always looking for feedback. And if you're a restaurant or a food business owner in town and you're interested in coming on the show, please just go ahead and reach out on social media or you can send us an email at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We are always looking for new people to talk to and would love to have you on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.